0: I love it when a reader says, I have no interest in fashion, but I love that story. And I'm like, ah, you do have an interest in fashion because you're not naked. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to You Have to Wear Something. Today, the style gods were in my favor because I have a dynamic savant of a designer, Fresh, of the ready to wear brand Rich Fresh and the co-founder of the incredibly popular Henry mask company, not a mask, but the mask of 2020 and beyond seen on NBA players and celebs alike. Welcome to the show. Fresh.
1: Hey, Thank you so much for having me, Nicole.
0: Thank you for being here. I am very, very excited. Is it safe to assume uh, Henry mask is named after you Patrick Henry?
1: yeah so it's actually um my brother and i started the company back in august and uh, both of our last name is henry so you know it just made sense this is is our family business
0: okay and that's chase right correct yes i was um i was actually given a mask from a friend and it's branded now that i'm looking at it it says center for health justice i don't know if you guys remember making those masks but um, I love the philanthropy and I love the one-for-one donations and all that you do. That was really a great initiative. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so knowing the little bit that I've learned, because I've been going a little crazy uh, watching your other interviews um, and learning about your background, um, it is safe to say that success is not linear, but a bunch of zig and zagging. Uh, whether that's tailoring, being a private chef, like you, right. you, you understand the hustler's credo here.
1: Right up. Yeah, I am a legit hustler. Um, you know, I'm from Memphis. You know, so. Where I'm from, you either have a good job or you, you're hustling or you're just broke. Um, and I didn't have a good job, you know, I didn't have a degree. the so one college drop. For me it was just you, you got and then um, I, I had a kid, you know, and I, I was responsible for my kid. I was raising up by myself. So it's really like, you know, I'm not even just hustling for myself now. I got this a hungry kid who's gonna start getting real hungry if I don't go out here and hustle so you just got to turn it up sometimes
0: yeah you do um and then first of all uh, a tailor but not just any tailor a self-taught tailor I mean that's one of the most precise traits to this day and I think a lot of people take for granted where things come from how they're made so how did you teach yourself I don't know if this is pre-youtube time but did you get like a sewing machine as a gift like how did that come about
1: nah, none of these things <laughs> <laughs> um no it was um it was definitely pre-youtube uh i was like 13 and you know i just had a conversation with a cheerleader that I, you know I, I really liked she was super popular and she told me about fashion and um, I just kind of went into this fantasy world of like, man, how would life be if I, if I dress better? Because, you know, I, I I wasn't popular and I got picked on for the way I dressed. So I kind of had this thing like, man, life would be so cool if, if I understood fashion. And I, um, I just went to the house and got, um, there was a sewing machine that was in like the family's closet and, um, I hear music in the back. I don't know who is Yeah,
0: me too. Me too. I wasn't sure if that was you. I don't want to mess up your vibe. If it's you not. Genuine, but, um, I love is that it. Melanie um, or
1: Sunshine?
0: Maybe it's Melanie. Hello, Melanie. Hello, Melanie. Okay, there it is. There it is. It dropped. Sorry. I'm sorry about that. I was like, well, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt no His playlist. definitely not uh, thank you thank you thank you for that um but yeah you 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 found the machine it was in your family
1: yeah so you know like after having this conversation with this cheerleader you know like she she mentioned fashion mm-hmm. to me and um you know I, again i went into this this mindset of like okay how would life be if i dress better you know because i wasn't you know very well dressed and, you know, like I said, I, I got picked on for the way I dressed and so I was like, man, if if this is my out, you know, I'll take it. So I went home and in our laundry room, it was not even a laundry room, in a laundry closet, there was this old sewing machine. It just always had a case on it. And um I never saw like it never moved. It never moved from that spot. So I figured no one would miss it if it came up missing. So I just took it into my room and just covertly taught myself how to sew for five years. Like I never, you know, I never told my family about it. I never asked my mom to show me anything. I never asked anyone to show me anything. Um, I just figured it out myself, you know, as much as I could. Um, But by the time, you know, I got to high school and through high school, I was pretty proficient on the sewing machine. I knew how to sew things. I understood patterns from from just like teaching myself and being super inquisitive. And, um, you know, I think just And you know, I'm also, I'm very mathematically inclined and I'm a perfectionist and I've got all kinds of things. I got OCD. So there's part of me that's incredibly precise. Like I'm, there's there's a piece in precision. You know, when things aren't precise, it just gets weird for me. So tailoring was kind of easy. Like, okay, I can use this sewing machine and use my mathematical sensibility and my fashion sense and I can Initially, it was just make clothes fit better. You know, I I understand if this is too big, how much too big? There's gotta be like, there's a number. Your waist should be an inch and a quarter smaller. Your seat should be an inch and a half smaller. Your thigh, so okay, if that's the case, how do I, where do I find this inch and a quarter? Where do I find this inch and a half from what seems? So that's the way I approached it. Like I never asked anyone, how do you do it? I just did whatever made the most practical sense. But it turns out you know by the time i was in my early like mid-20s i was the coldest tailor in memphis i was i was i was uh i was a bad boy
0: i believe it i really do believe it and you you weren't the bad dresser forever uh i understand you went through a preppy phase of wearing like brooks brothers and polo oh, yeah. all of that
1: yeah like the bad the bad phase came in middle school so when i was in little rock i didn't dress like anything worth talking about um, but Little Rock is where I found out about fashion that's where I fell in love with it and by the time we moved to Memphis you know it was kind of a rebranding project that I did on myself like you know on the ride to Memphis I just kind of talked with myself uh, for a couple hours like who would you be if you could be anyone you know no one here has ever seen you before so how would you present yourself if you could present yourself however you could And I just thought of this kid that was super preppy and well-dressed and together. And, you know, all the girls liked him. All the guys thought he was cool. And, you know, he wore lots of polo. He wore lots of chinos and drivers and, you know, the canvas shoes, like he was just super cool. And like, you couldn't really put your finger on his style. It was just a, it was a very different type of style. Um, And I don't know, I just kind of had that vision. And then when I got to town, you know i just only found those pieces that lined up with that vision and then by the time i started high school i was like one of the top three best dressed guys my entire high school career so high school for me was awesome
0: okay um, okay okay <laughs> <laughs> that was a come up <laughs> yeah
1: it was a huge come up
0: um and and were you collecting polo the whole like low head subculture
1: yes yes i was i was But not like, you know, not like the way they were. Like, uh, there were groups and stuff. I wasn't with the whole groups. I just had a closet full of it. Like, just on hangers. And, you know, my hangers had to be spaced a certain way. I had them all color coordinated. It was pretty disgusting. Um, But I know I easily, at one point, I probably counted 60 polo shirts. You know, like, I had so many. Yeah, I had so many clothes. I had, you know, I had the same polo boots. I had the same high top bolo boot in the same color just in case one got messed up i had all the different colors you could think of like i was a clothes hoard so um but you know like that that's where i found my confidence you know some guys they play sports some guys do other things my confidence was in my ability to put on clothes and look better than other people um,
0: and perfect those clothes, it seems. Um, yeah, I, It's the interesting thing for me is growing up in Chicago, a lot of the, specifically the black guys that were into fashion or shopping, who, like you said, were not playing sports, who were not, you know, in the game, if you will, uh, were collecting polo and wearing it. And their whole world was low and there were groups and stuff like that. So I thought that that was uh, really interesting because, it, you know, polo seems like a gateway <laughs> kind of clothing drug into the world of fashion. But specifically, oh, yeah. um, being a black tailor, being a black tailor, like working in fashion and retail and I mean a ton of places. I worked at McQueen, I worked at Neiman's, I worked, you know, I managed at Hugo Boss on Rodeo Drive. Yeah. So obviously watching, you know, the magic in the basement uh, with tailors who are Italian who, you know, foreign born, who um, were trained, you know, like specifically in Italy first and then hired by Hugo Boss and were like doing it, you know, they were like 70, 80, 80 years old, right? right? And so obviously you stand out, obviously you're a disruptor. Um, what, what does that mean to you to be, you know, I am a tailor, I am also black,
1: you know, I'm from America. I'm from the South. Um, you know, I'm an anomaly. Uh, I've never had a problem being the anomaly. You know, um, when I was coming up, one of the things that bothered me, you know, I, I always move based off things that usually that bother me. If something bothers me, I'm usually going to move against it. And I remember um, this this concept of like, black youth specifically men young black males you only got three options out you only got three options out you either hooping you rapping or selling dope and, and, and like in memphis it's like well no you're hooping rapping or you just happen to be smart enough to go to college and do that thing or you're selling dope you know or you're in a gang like it, it's that was it you know in college those options are even limited you're only going to do so many things in college as a black person you know was like how how we would hear and honestly it sucks but we'd hear it from ourselves like you know it's like it's 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 perpetuated throughout media and, and 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 culture but when you're hearing your peers talking like that you're like damn y'all really don't think that you can do anything else like nah man shit man we stuck bruh man we ain't getting out of here bro. man we ain't never leaving Memphis, man man we gonna be here forever man we ain't never gonna do shit it's like damn y'all really don't you think that just because you can't rap or hoop you literally don't have any other option? and so my thing was i can't hoop you know i'm i'm not a good basketball player um yeah it's not and, for everybody and nah, it is so not for me and like you know, college didn't work for me. Um, and I was like, you know what? I know how to sew. And I don't see any other black tailors. You know, I don't, I definitely don't see any young black tailors. And every time I go talk to a tailor, they're older. They're like Italian or like Russian or something. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they don't want to really put me up on game. You know, I, I went to a bunch of tailors trying to intern or just apprentice like work for free and none of them would let me work none of them would train me it was like no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna train you for you to one day become my competition it's because they didn't they didn't see me as themselves they didn't see me as family they saw me as outside culture i'm not gonna i'm not gonna invest in an outside culture you know and so that upset me um and i thought like you know what you know what i should do I should make and cool. You know, I should really focus on like, what would it take to make and cool enough so that a young person would want to do it? You know, yeah. especially like, like, once I started actually making some money tailoring, like my first hundred thousand, like my first hundred thousand dollar year was off of the alterations company I started when I was 21. And after that, I thought like, damn, this dude's that would never think they'll ever make this much money. And this is, came off alterations. Yo, if you can show that this is cool i think you might steer people in this direction they won't be so limited in their options this should be another option black people are so creative black men have such good style like especially from the south but they're not being empowered to monetize that and i was like you know what why don't you do it and then show other people how to do it and i've really devoted like you know obviously I'm, I'm working i'm building my brand i'm building henry but I'm also, you know, I mentor a lot of up-and-coming tailors because I think they should be able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars being stylish and knowing how clothes should look and feel. So that was always a big thing for me. Like, I wanted to show this as another outlet for us.
0: Yeah, they always say that kids kids don't do what you say. They do what they see. Right if you don't see yourself, you know, sometimes you don't feel like it's possible. Even with the movie, like Hidden Figures, like you have kids playing now to pretend to be scientists and teachers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, you really do have to see it. And to this day, you are the only black male tailor I've ever met, even digitally. But wow. <laughs> maybe one day I get to shake your hand, but you know, um, I I still, to this day, I don't know a black tailor. You know, I understand that there's things going on in New York. Of course, I think if I was living in New York, um, you know, it's a fashion hub. You would see a lot more of that. I know black designers, I know black stylists, but specifically your trade is so unique. And um, I know you had your storefront. And I know that you had some setbacks, like you know, the uh, the housing bubble. Um, crisis right and um having to take a step back and i think a lot of people you know entrepreneurship is extremely hot right now right everyone thinks like i'm a i'm a boss i'm an entrepreneur
1: get to the bag
0: i'm gonna get i'm in my bag i'm staying in my bag i'm gonna you know do this do that and it's just a straight line but it just isn't you know and so um i wanted to ask you about um working at i manager going yeah and Ooh, you, you pronounced
1: it right no one has ever done that
0: <laughs> <laughs> as a manager yeah let's let's be honest that's what it is and you can't be on Rodeo saying these names wrong <laughs> <'Cause, Right. laughs> you know you're in that environment when in Rome Straight but up. um yeah you know actually it's kind of um talking to my brother because he's going to be getting married and we're talking about you know where he's going to get his suit from. I was actually kind of like, we should fly to London and get like an Oswald Boateng because, again, I didn't know of any other... I mean, he's still the only Black atelier on Savile Row, right? And so... you know, you guys were like these unicorns. Um, but now we, we got to throw, throw your name, obviously, in the hat for that. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, but yes, working in the front of the house, people really don't realize how tough it is to work in luxury retail, dealing with celebs and stylists and one percenters all day and really demanding people, especially in New York or L.A. It's a very unique experience that I think maybe sometimes the people way up at the top don't understand the... Um, the tactfulness you need <laughs> when working on on the floor or working with clients. Um, so, you know, and I know that also there are some bumps there too. And I related to some parts of your story when they're like, oh, you were late or we need to document that. Um, was that, how was that for you? Was it humbling? Were you upset about working front of house versus being a tailor?
1: No, you know, it's interesting. Um... It was my first retail job, like, as an adult. Uh, And I applied as a tailor. Like, I applied to be a tailor. And they looked over my resume, and they called me back in to do, you know, my my interview or whatever. And I was going to actually come in and do some tailoring. But I showed up, and I was so fresh when I showed up. You know, it, it was nothing major. I just had on a sport coat and some plaid trousers and some loafers, but I looked like front of house I, I was probably one of the best dressed people they had seen and um the gym was like wait a second you're a tailor I'm like yeah he's like dude you look like a model like how old are you and, you know I, I was relatively young and was like dude you should be doing sales like have you ever thought about doing sales It's like you just you have the look I was like I don't know man he's like look man trust me on this I think you should do sales um I just I think you'll enjoy it more I think you just have a neck I said like, look man I'm just trying to move to LA I'll, I'll do whatever so you know I was in San Diego at the time they offered me a sales position um and they were just opening uh a Xenia at the Beverly Center and it was like the their cooler Z spin spinoff and you know I got tattoos and piercings and shit so um I guess they figured you know, I'd be a really good fit which it was like i was their number one sales guy i was the guy um yeah you know i had the funky hair like i used to have my hair locked but it didn't fall so i just had these locks like sticking straight up in the air right Um, and you know i'm pretty tall slim so i got a really cool look and my clothes look cool and you know with my tailoring background i just know how to relate to people um and I don't know, it just really worked. And so I was kicking so much ass and I got real comfortable, like, man, I could really see myself growing here because I do so well in this environment, you know, management like me. And, you know, I was like, no, oh, this is really cool. And then, um, you know, I wanted to do something to help the staff because my coworkers were having a hard time fitting their clients. And they kept asking me like, oh, fresh man," or, you know, they used to call me rich. Oh, hey, Rich, can you uh, help me? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let me help you out. But, like, I got my own customers to deal with, Jack, so I can't keep leaving my my, my post to come and help you do your thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So I went
1: to management, like, hey, man, I'm a master tailor. This is simple for me. These guys are not. There's no one here to do the fitting. You're going to continue having returns. You're going to have diminished rapport uh, and just diminished morale amongst the team. They're going to feel like losers every time this shit gets returned because the fit was terrible, like... They need fitter training. So I proposed training them on how to fit these garments that we have to fit every day. And they said, Oh, wow, that'd be great. So, you know, I said, All right, cool. So I went and I spent my time putting together a curriculum. I put together an entire curriculum to teach these things broken down, you know, over a predetermined period of time like six weeks. We're going to spend an hour a day on Saturday for six Saturdays. Boom, done.
0: Right, now you're the learning and development manager. <laughs> yeah, you know?
1: and so I put this thing together, and it was beautiful, and I put together each module, and I came, and I, you know, they had me present it to them, obviously, because they want to make sure it made sense, and they said, oh, wow, this looks great, um, we're going to follow up with you and let you know when to start. The next thing you know, I hear, literally two days before it's supposed to start, uh, that corporate wanted to make a couple changes, okay, what are the changes, well, first change is they don't want it to be over six weeks. They want to condense it all to one Saturday. What? They want to teach all this shit in one day? Like, how? Like, it's, bro, you're teaching how to, it's impossible, bro. Like, these guys are, are complete novices. You need more time. Yeah, look, man, corporate spoke, so that is what it is. All right, whatever. Okay, so what's the next thing? Well, the next thing is they don't want you to teach it. They want another tailor to come in and teach it. I'm like, how did I put this whole thing together? Like I communicate with these guys. Yeah, I know, but you know, they just don't want, really, they don't want you in a position of authority, um, which is, you know, ultimately what it was. So they brought someone in who spoke broken English, ran right through it. It was a complete waste of time. And I expressed my um, my disdain, you know, I just let them know that I thought that they should have done that better. It was a complete waste of time. And that none of us gained anything from this experience. I think this shouldn't have been messed with, you know. And I think by me speaking up, because uh, I told the regional director, because I'm not a respectful person. If something's wrong, I'm gonna tell you that you're wrong. And so I just went right in and told him. Um, very like plain-faced. It is what it is. And after that, it, everything changed. Like I was their favorite. I was the darling until that day. After that, oh, you rose up against authority. Boom, he's done. And, um, you know, I got a bullseye on my back, and it was just like months of just mistreatment and just bullshit. And then, you know, I just realized that it's time to go. Um, So I put together together my exit strategy and kicked it off. It did well, and that was my exit.
0: I hear this a lot. You hear this a lot about every industry, but even and when I was in it this resonates because what I feel and I don't know if you agree with this is a lot of luxury retail is just rooted in whiteness and they want a diverse team they want diverse talent and that's their greatest asset but at the same time there's a bit of policing I, I, I would be written up for things that I didn't even know I did. Right. Minutes And Sarah, whoever, you know, these people, other people adjacent to me that didn't look like me would not be written up. So policing mm-hmm. comes in all kinds of forms in corporate America. It's through the documentation. When you clip the wings of the very diverse talent that you wanted to recruit, well, now they're bringing something different but they're not being responsive to it, you know? And Absolutely. and this, I just, it's a pattern. I haven't seen this once, but twice. And, you know, Hugo Boss ended up going out of business on Rodeo and I think one of the reasons that happened is so resistant to change. Just sure. super resistant to where online was going, uh, updating merchandising, uh, you know, um, the top salespeople were getting pretty old, you know? So maybe, bring in some next-gen leaders so you know all of that I, I had I started having like flashbacks and PTSD when you were talking <laughs> a little bit about your experience there um, but I want to kind of chat about a little bit about your business today. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like you you made pretty much the best designed mask um, and the model was also really smart with it being subscription Uh, was that the part that helped you scale the fastest like whose idea was that because they say you know bootstrap as long as you can because again like I said before is obsession with having to raise seed money series a series b and so on and then you have to Have your venture capital overlords pulling the strings and it's very demanding Um, Mm -hmm. so I I love that this is kind of something
1: right yeah um, you know again we're just problem solvers and hustlers you know Um, there's no manual on how to be an entrepreneur, there's no manual on how to start a fashion business, I'm not a fashion guy, like I didn't go to fashion school I didn't read fashion manuals or textbooks. I just responded to a need I felt was present in the market. Um, and that's how I built Rich Fresh. You know? I felt like we needed a black luxury brand that wasn't quote unquote urban. It was just tailored and it was run by a fly black dude. You know, But you could just run the gamut. Anyone could wear this without looking like you have to listen to rap music. You know, mm-hmm. not anything wrong with that, but we have that already. So, like, how can we respond and just be something different in the market? So then, you know, we're doing that, doing my thing, doing my thing, kicking ass, taking names, becoming this celebrity tailor that I dreamed of becoming just because I said I wanted it, you know. Uh, then I ended up buying my factory that produced my clothes. So it gave me more leverage. Um, you know, everything's produced here in LA, but it just gave me more leverage to, like, move right now. Mm -hmm. and had that for almost exactly a year my brother had moved here to LA to run my factory so I moved him out here because he was in aircraft mechanics uh, or aircraft maintenance Um, and so I moved him out here to manage the factory so he was running that and then boom COVID hits Um, city shuts down everything shuts down and you know business pretty much slowed up and yeah. you know, my brother and I, you know, we're still like, we're super blessed, we're very fortunate so, you know, we had this cushy house in the hills, you know I'm, I got, you know I had my I just bought a second one so I'm like, man, you know and I don't, I don't see you know, I'm not a person that feels like things will ever stop, I'm not a person that's like, oh gosh, this thing happened, I'm gonna lose it all never, it's way too many people for me to ever lose anything, I'm never gonna lose anything I'll always figure it out so that's our mindset. We're very like fortunate and when we know that we're fortunate. So in the midst of this pandemic, my brother and I are trying to figure out how we can help people. Like, yo, we need to develop a product that we can sell and take the money and use it to like feed kids who can't eat because schools are shut down. That was our first thing. We wanted to make some T-shirts and sell them and take all the money and put it towards, uh, you know, food banks or whatever could feed kids and hungry families um but before we could really push that like we had designed the t-shirts we had started building out the site the whole thing but before we could get that going um we needed to run a big uh production order at the factory for some clothes and i was like all right cool let's run this order um oh shit i got 13 tailors and these you know they're a little bit older i gotta get them some face masks make sure they can work so like hey bro let's find them some masks He coming back a few hours later, like, hey, man, I can't find him any masks. Like, what do you mean you can't find any masks, bro? Like, just get them some regular masks. Like, nah, there's no masks. I'm like, nah, just, like, get them the regular shit, like the white ones or what. He's like, bro, you're not listening. (laughs) There's none. Nowhere. Like, not at Staples, not at Walmart, not at Walgreens, not on Amazon. You can't get a fucking mask. You can't get a mask for months. I was like, how? There's this thing that's, like, wiping people out, and they need a mask, and that's the one thing that you can't get? Oh, this is ridiculous so i just went to the factory to make a mask for my tailors i just made a surgical mask and that evening i, I facetimed a buddy of mine and he asked what we were doing that day and i said oh man i went down to the factory made a mask for the staff he said oh what's it look like i put it on and he said wow that looks beautiful because you know i'm a perfectionist um you know i found some polypropylene and we made a cool mask it's just normal and Within two weeks, that same guy ended up buying 6,000 of them and reselling them to like factories in Memphis. So okay. just, you know, inadvertently from trying to solve our own problem, we ended up solving a problem for, for 6,000 other people. So we're like, hmm, well, this is, if, if this is a problem for 6,000 people, it's a problem for 6 million people. We need to respond to the bigger need. So I, tur- I told my brother, hey, man, we've got to turn this into a brand. We've got to create a unique aesthetic, and we have to have a distribution model that makes more sense. Um, came came back to the house that night, folded together some paper, came up with the origami shape, and turned and showed my brother, like, hey, this is the new shape. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's dope. Um, and then the next day, I said, you know, like, the, the brand concept was mostly mine, but the production was my brother's. So this is how we work. You know i came up with the shape you know i was like yo we need to call this henry because it's our brand it's it's our name it's legacy it'll make us move a certain way we'll move with a different intensity with the name henry than if we name it something else so we have to name it henry yeah and we need to price it really inexpensive easy to market they need to be like four for 40 bucks ten dollars a unit that's how we launched initially and it needs to be a subscription model because the cost to acquire, like the, the acquisition cost is way too high to have to do this every single time, and we're we're responding to a mask shortage. Why do people need to ever worry about getting it again? They need, they should be able to pause it or cancel it, but it should be something that comes to them consistently. Um, and there was a little bit of pushback because you know there wasn't a mask subscription service, so like it's hard when you're the first of something for people to believe that it's gonna hit. Yeah. Um, but I just had this innate sense that this is the only way. And fortunately, I mean, you know, my brother trusts me enough to like roll with it. My team trusts me enough to roll with it. And so we just, that's how we rolled it. And um, it was one of the smartest things we could have ever done. Uh, it built a very strong business. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it beyond just building a strong business, it gave us a greater sense of responsibility. We know we're responsible we consistently responding to this need this isn't a one-off there can never be a scenario where someone needs these and we're like oh man we ain't got them so we had to build really fast because we knew like we're gonna build this thing and it's gonna grow really fast um so yeah it, it, it was one of those smartest so now people yeah now
0: people are thinking okay what comes you know next after covid is that a concern for you
1: yeah i mean you know post-covid is definitely a concern and you know part of part of our mentality is post we're not we're not in the post-covid era yet i know we'd like to think we that we are we'd love to we'd love to just be able to go back to life as usual it makes it'll make people so happy to just be able to write this thing off as if it never happened. But it did, and it still is. So just because one or two people may say, oh, guys, guess what? Take your mask off. It's all good. That don't mean the thing is gone just because someone said it's cool to come outside. It don't mean that it's not still raining. Um, So we're not in post-COVID yet. We're still in COVID. And flu flu season is like, what, two months away? Yeah. You know, I don't care what you want to call it. I don't want your germs you know what i'm saying (laughs) i don't care what what name you want to call your germs i don't want them so i don't want to sit next to you and have to breathe in your germs i don't want to have to be on a plane with you and breathe in your germs i don't want to be in a movie theater in a stadium or in close proximity and have to breathe in your germs i don't want to get sick at all whether it's covid or the flu or pneumonia i don't want any of it keep that shit to yourself so i don't think that masks are going away and, you know, you still see businesses still have to provide these for their employees because you're still not going to go into a restaurant and accept food from a server who's just breathing freely over your food.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. right now, if you order the Uber, they would say, make sure your face is covered. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. If you get on the airplane, they're going to tell you and you better keep it on the whole flight.
0: <laughs> they're going to yeah. tell
1: you, you don't need to have your mask off for an hour to eat. You need 10 minutes and put it right back on we're coming to check so it's not going away there's still a need and we're still the number one responder to this need
0: yeah and the most attractive one by the well, way of course, of course. Um, but
1: you know but also we do understand that there are other needs beyond masks and you know our brand is uniquely positioned now that i think consumers just trust us you know a lot of people said that they were going to give products and they never delivered. You know, a lot of people bought masks that they they never got. Not from us, but from other companies. Because people were just, you know, hawking crap or pre-selling stuff that they never got. We don't move that way. Like, we have a... a, That's our name. That's my last name. That is my daughter's name. That's my brother's name. It's my mother's name. We don't play around with our name. So we made sure that if we said we're going to do it, we do it. And consumers trust us. They know we're going to give them a good product. A fair price and we're going to deliver when we say we're going to you know if if something's wrong we're going to make it right and with that trust you know if i trust you in one area i'll likely trust you in two areas i'll likely trust you in three areas now if you lose my trust in one area you might lose it in all areas but if you gain it in one area i'll likely give you my business in other spaces so we're now taking this consumer trust and consumer confidence and like what other products can we put our stamp on and deliver the best possible product where some other people may be failing our audience? So now it's all about, you know, how 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 else can Henry exist? And, you know, we don't have the answer to that yet, but we will very soon. Um, I'm very excited about it. I'm sure that the market will be ready.
0: Yeah, so um, just to talk a little bit about the custom business for people who don't know, you have um, created um, custom suits, custom looks for, you know the weekend john legend billy porter Dwayne wade uh gabrielle union even verdine for versus um lena waithe and and apparently she's one of your favorites right because she kind of lets you freestyle is that correct 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 yeah yeah she lets you kind of do your thing so between the like custom business and the mass henry mask business um is there something that you like more or less about either one of them and is there anything that you don't like
1: yeah um i mean the thing i love about henry is that we employ so many people i think that's one of the things that my brother and i are probably the most proud of we have about 70 employees like full-time every day making real money employees like all of our employees that like all of our masks are made by individuals by hand every day at our Los Angeles factory. Everyone is above board. Like everyone is documented. Everyone's paid like above market rates. Like we take very good care of our, of our family, you know, like we view it as a family. So I know that's one of the things that we're the most proud of with Henry. Um, you know, one of the things that I maybe don't enjoy as much, um, is uh oh my god i have so many meetings like i have so many meetings (laughs) it doesn't make any sense like i I probably have like thank you for taking this meeting fresh i appreciate (laughs) it but you know it's like 12 to 15 meetings a week and that's just henry um and these are the ones that i know i'm gonna have like i know i'm gonna have 12 to 15 meetings every week just for henry uh, and, you know, there are other things that you have to add in order to progress and move forward. So, that, you know, it's like it's just a thing that you have to get used to. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful for it. I mean, if that's my job, like it's not it's not it's not the worst job on earth uh, by a long stretch. Um, the thing that I love the most about Rich Fresh is my complete control. You know, like Henry is, um, you know, my brother and I own it. Um and so we do have a great degree of control. You know, it is bootstrap, you know. We, you know, we invested in ourselves. So we have that control, but at the same time, you know, it's it's a public-facing company, you know. It's like it's a family goods type of, you know, so like we have to be very careful in how we communicate and you know, the stuff that we do, the stuff that we say, how we move.
0: Yeah. Rich I fresh is that.
1: totally different. Rich fresh does what the he wants to do and whatever it wants to do like it's so free Um, Rich Fresh says what it wants it does what it wants it prices the way it wants like it's just there are no boundaries there are no restrictions Um, it's the wild child it's the most creative thing that I've ever done Uh, so that I love the most about Rich Fresh is just complete unbridled creativity Uh, and freedom Um, the thing that I'm maybe not the craziest about is uh, you know that I didn't I didn't move on ready to wear fast enough or not fast enough but like I didn't move on it in in, in the past like I just finally launched my ready to wear which is doing great you know don't get me wrong it's doing amazing but I don't have like I'm just now having these wholesale conversations with luxury retailers that I didn't have two years ago or a year ago so a lot of the rich fresh business is still you know custom which is still like um, having to come up with more things and interact with customers on a constant basis uh, even though you know I have a team that does a lot of it like I've got a have got a team uh, throughout the country that goes and, and interacts with clients and builds customers and does all that but it'd be really cool to be in stores already like i really would love to already be in Saks. i'd love to already be in neiman's already so that's the thing that, that I'm, I'm probably you know I, I kick myself sometimes is that i'm not where i want to be yet
0: yeah and i mean obviously another part of being a great hustler is having just immense patience things take a little bit longer for mm-hmm. like the self talk for the hustler right like for someone who's having to juggle a lot of different jobs and positions and things like that and so that I had to even you know I'm hard on myself too I'm just like okay we can keep it moving um do you still design handbags
1: oh yes absolutely
0: okay okay. I remember you wanted to only do handbags at one point um but this was a while ago so I just was wondering I'm like does he still make handbags
1: yeah you know again what people don't know when I first moved um well, when I first had the idea to move to the West Coast, I was in Memphis, and, um, you know, I was in a 300-square-foot studio apartment. It was me, my daughter, and my brother Chase. had uh, He had just lost his job, so he had moved in. A 300-square-foot apartment, so that's like, you know, you do the math. It's a 15-by-20, tiny space, big closet, basically. Um, but I was making bags, you know, all day, every day, and I just thought that, you know, i'm young i'm straight i'm black I'm southern and i make really cool bags i don't see anything like me in the market you know and i was like man i think you'd be a hit like ladies love you like all the time but imagine that they love you and you have a product because i mean they ate my shit up in memphis like ladies love coming to see me and getting bags You know, and it wasn't on, you know, no, no, you know, creepy shit, but (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah, you know,
1: it's like they just because I was just, I was that cute guy. I'm like, oh my God, this cute guy makes bags and like he got his daughter. Like, I'm like, what the, you know, it's like they can't put their finger on it because this guy shouldn't be making purses, but he makes them beautifully. And there's something about that that just stands out. And so I thought, like, yo, bottle this shit up and take this to the West Coast. There's more people, they have way more money. I think that they'll they'll, they'll really respond well to this. Um, But you know, before I got to LA, I got to San Diego, which is not a fashion town. So I got right back on tailoring. And so I just kind of lost that, um, I lost that momentum in the bag space. I didn't pick it back up until I moved to LA. Uh, So yeah, I definitely still do bags. Um, I haven't done quite as many, but I'll be doing more because what people don't know is I'm launching women's wear oh
0: okay well you heard it here on you have to wear something the women's wear because I you know I fancy myself a a glamorous uh, tomboy I have three brothers so you know my oldest brother was always kind of the freshest out of the four of us and just watching him you know that's the first time I saw like a Dior you know sweatshirt pullover with a little Dior you know over the chest like real tiny and embroidered we're talking like late 80s you know, early 90s because he's a lot older than me. and I'm like, man, he's this dude's kind of wearing like luxury sportswear before, you know, of course back then like Dapper Dan and all of those people, but that was more of a New York thing. That wasn't a Chicago thing at all. At all. Um, and definitely not a thing in the South. At um, all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it wasn't really to like rap and hip hop people like really, you know, a little, a little bit, bit of the style kind of crossed over. Um, but I like what you say about, like, I am a straight Black man, and I think that's important because, um, fashion is a very welcoming space to the LGBTQ community, and most of the Black men I met in that space were gay, you know, Gianni Versace was gay, um, you you know, and so on and so forth. Hosting, when you think about, um, most of the luxury designers, not all, but most of them, um word being gay is there any hesitance you feel to your growth because simply you're straight
1: yeah yeah um be honest with you a lot which i wasn't expecting you know and um i remember the first time like i felt that was in new york i was in new york tailoring and i was on a train and and, uh this guy approached me he's like "Yo, i love your look and he asked me um uh, he asked me what I did, and I told him, he's like, Yo, um, I'm doing this shoot for such and such, so and so. Could you style it? And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which, I mean, I'm glad I didn't take the job because I probably would have sucked at it. But um, I was like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm putting stuff together, getting the, the accessories and whatnot. I'm looking at the, the, the mood boards and everything, getting inspired. And I ended up having a conversation where he was like, hey, let's let's chat beforehand. So, you know, I hopped on a call with him. And, you know, we just talking. And I look a certain way. Like, I have a very... Um, my look will, will, will catch you by, by surprise because I have a very fluid look. Like, you can't put your finger on it. You can't tell how old I am. You can't tell if I'm gay straight. You just don't know. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But if you talk to me for a few minutes, you get very straight vibes. Um and you know probably like three minutes into the conversation you know i mean we're not talking about anything outside of the 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 context but he was like um can i can i ask you a personal question i was like yeah sure what's up what's your like what's your what's your um orientation i was like like what like you know sexual orientation like gay straight bi i was like oh yeah i'm straight he's like oh okay like straight straight or like bye like no like straight he's like oh yeah this mm, this shoot might not work I was like might not work why how He's like well you know uh, we're going to be working with this young lady and they usually don't feel really comfortable with straight guys and I was like are you serious like yeah it's just a lot of like you got to be in close contact and it, it's probably just not going to be a good fit and that was it and i was like what the fuck just happened like yeah i just lose a job for being straight like that was weird and so i thought it was weird and then i get to la and it's like you know i mean that's the fashion industry the fashion industry for the most part it's not black but what black it is especially male is predominantly gay you see more you know gay black men in the space than straight black men for certain um like straight black men who aren't celebrities like just 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 in fashion you're in the business of fashion you don't see a lot of straight black men of prominence in the fashion space so yeah a lot of people didn't they didn't take it seriously like they want to only keep me in one category like of just being a tailor just a tailor because tailors you see a lot of straight tailors
0: definitely like, a fashion lot fashion is different
1: tailor. fashion is different when you get into like you know photo shoots and this and that and the stylists and the it's usually a different world because a lot of the stylists are gay um, but I'm a I'm not a respectable person. Again, I don't give a shit who you are, you know. I don't care who you with. Like they don't have nothing to do with me. You know, I'm I like what I like, I do what I do. I'm not gonna ever disrespect someone else's position. They don't disrespect mine. So, you know, it ends up being cool. Like, you know, all the stylists I work with, they love working with me because I'm just I'm cool. Uh and so after a while I think you know that whole concept kind of wore off of like you know him being straight is a strike against his ability it's like nah dude's on something different and then you know like someone like lena you know that that really opened a lot of doors and really i think solidified some things in the lgbt space it's like okay yeah this dude is straight but he's clearly a friend of of the family so i think it made things a little easy but yeah initially being black and being straight was like it was like being it was like being a white dude wanting to rap
0: you know I mean? <laughs> yeah you gotta no nah, nah, like, no it was <laughs> yeah. like being a
1: white girl wanting to rap <laughs>
0: right 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 no yeah you you've more than uh done that um i want to talk to you a little bit more about the growth of rich fresh which you said you wanted to become basically like a gucci you know, mm-hmm. essentially a heritage house that will, you know, go on and live on even, you know, beyond you. That's the vision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about this chat um, that I saw in The Breakfast Club with Dapper Dan, and I read his, um, you know, his bio, his autobiography, and he talks about this problem of the supply chain. And also, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric around buy black, support black business, but that can only go so far. You would have to make it to the mainstream in order for you to scale like a Gucci. Cause yeah. even if you go on Rodeo right now, or even the Magnificent Mile in Chicago, all of those stores on and what have you, you Saint Laurent, it They're still either, you know, a caring um, group or an LVMH owned brand. You know, is that something that you would be interested in either like being, you know not purchased maybe be invested in by a bigger conglomerate just to kind of give you the leeway to do what you want to do do you want retail stores across America what what are you what are you seeing as the next step
1: I want all of that to be honest with you. <laughs> okay um yeah uh, I really do and I understand that you know to I was I was telling someone earlier um the easiest way to go somewhere you've never been is to talk to someone who's there or is on their way. So, you know, to exist as a Gucci, it's gonna be real difficult unless I take some of Gucci's resources. Like I gotta have some of the Gucci insight. So that's either the capital, the infrastructure, some of the team, like there has to be something. And you know, the thing about you know kerrig and the lvmh is they have a formula you know they know how to take a brand and they know how to infuse capital they know how to attach designers connect with proper celebrities like they just there's a formula that they use and they spin off luxury brands like it's nothing it's the easiest thing in the world so yeah that's tempting um you know It is quite tempting to connect with, you know, a brand like that. It's also tempting to hop into the space, the collab space of either doing big collabs with, uh, you know, the larger brands or coming on and doing some creative direction, you know, um, on some Tom Ford for Gucci type shit. Obviously, I don't think it'll be for Gucci because I'm still a little sore about some things.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, we we we're a little sore. Yeah, I work for Kieran Group too, and this is not the episode, but I I I sued them. Oh, uh, for my time at McQueen. This is you know going back, and I'm writing a little, a little, little, little something about it. (laughs) But um, yeah, I I actually won a settlement, right? Um, Because you know when you're ambitious and talented and black, it's almost worse, right? Yeah be ambitious and smart and intelligent and have great ideas and be innovative because when you go in, there's resistance to that. If you are, you know, I know some black people that have been working for LVMH for years and they just go to work, keep their head down, leave. They don't make any suggestions. You know, you, you know, it's easier to be, have success if you re, you remain invisible.
1: Absolutely. Have but if you come
0: in and you're like, hey, I can make this better or you want your ideas nope. to matter.
1: Nope. Nope, not, nah, it's, you know, it's hard being a black face in a white room with the good ideas, you know, it's very hard being the black face in the white room with the good ideas, and it is what it is, I mean, it just is what it is, and I think the sooner that, you know, I mean, it just is what it is, um, there's some companies that are just more open, and they get it, and good for them, you know, but you're not gonna change, you're not gonna change a, a, a culture that's, designed a certain way so that's why for me after my experience with Xenia I was like you know I'm not gonna apply somewhere else I'm not I'm not doing this thing I'm gonna take my talents I'm gonna build my own table I'm gonna build my own seats and I'm gonna be cool there and even like you know like I'm I'm pretty successful with both of my companies so I have a different mentality I'm not gonna go anywhere and be marginalized you know mm-hmm. if I were to take a position somewhere it's one of the utmost respect you know but if i'm marginalized i'm an asshole um you know and so that's that's not what anyone wants you 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 don't you don't wanna you don't wanna you don't want to get to me like that
0: yeah and it's exhausting it's a burnout when you go in and you just it's such a a fight uphill battle you know trying to kind of like fit in and
1: and trying to help someone else like at the end of the day Yeah i'm trying to bring you more value like i should not have to fight to bring you value like if i have to fight to bring you value i'll take those ideas and give them to myself
0: which is which is what you did and you know what i i like too because i yeah i dabble in the woo woo they call me a good witch from time to time (laughs) um you had a bit of a awakening and you you have a a spiritual process and you know i know you're vegan now um how does your lifestyle influence you know the way you operate in business
1: um you know my new lifestyle is very different like my old lifestyle was very rushed and chaotic and um sloppy and eh, it just wasn't together um you know lots of uh you know being the victim of things like when you have an addiction you're a victim of something Like, if you're addicted to something, you're saying out loud, I'm a victim of this thing that's stronger than me. Uh, And I had a bunch of that, so you're trying to be this powerful force in the world but you got addictions to shit, to to little things. Um, And so, it took me shaking off these things in order to, like, really step into greatness, like, real greatness. Not like, quote-unquote, oh, I'm gonna go out there and be great, but, like, beyond saying it like actually doing it like the work it takes to be great is exhausting um but you know i think making all these changes going vegan stopping the drinking stopping the drugs changing the way i thought changing the information that i took in you know changing the way i spoke to myself um stop making excuses i don't make excuses i don't i don't miss things i don't i don't apologize for shit like i just move different and my brand is the same way. My brand is very unapologetic. My brand doesn't apologize. My brand is what it is. It costs what it costs. Oh, man. Oh, man, I can't afford that, man. Is there any way you can make me a deal? The old me would have been like, oh, yeah, man, very apologetically. Let me... I don't do that now. No. This is what it is. Do you go into Tom Ford and ask him to cut you a deal? If nope, you do, nope. you won't do it twice. Um, You know what I mean? Like, I- I'm very structured. I'm very, like, detailed and that's the way I try and live. Well, not try, but that's just the way that I exist. Yeah,
0: you know, more disciplined. And, and more I care too that when you change your, you know, when you have better health then you detox, you know, you have better ideas. I mean, you just oh, think yeah. better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, your spirit gets clogged up with a bunch of BS all the time. And sometimes you have to detox and not just from like food and drink, but like sometimes you gotta detox from people or from news or from like just outside interference. To really tap into, like, because, you know, God God wants to speak to us all the time. And it's very hard for God to speak to us when there's so much other shit speaking to us. And it's speaking louder than God is sometimes. So, like, sometimes you got to just bring yourself to, like, a quiet space. And that's what it was for me. And then, you know, everything in my brand, just like everything, all of my wishes just started unfolding. And the integrity that I operate at has also set these things in place you know like i dropped the ball so many times in my previous life you know weddings I've, I've dropped some balls but now when a justin bieber and his team call me and they need something in two days and i say don't worry about it you can go to sleep don't even think about it again i got it that's what i meant and there's no scenario on earth where that doesn't get done that's the way i move now so all like you know people just like they respect that you know they see it as is what it is
0: yeah your word and your reputation is just impeccable and and i i feel like that's the most important thing is absolutely. that the word of mouth you know you can't have a big clientele in la especially if they know that you drop the ball a lot it will ruin it'll it'll ruin it and it'll spread like wildfire people yeah, absolutely will, oh, that guy that guy you can't call him he's gonna be late it's not gonna show up and there's there's stylists and publicists and stuff like that out here right now that I'm surprised that still get work you know um but I I do um value your time I value your energy I appreciate um you taking the time to speak with you have to wear something today and we are very excited for women's wear especially me the uh the 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 wealthy toddler over here (laughs) yeah absolutely um but thank you. Um, I appreciate this, and um, I will um, be looking out for all of this expansion and continue wearing um, my Henry mask with pride. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for you know for for wearing Henry first of all. Keep wearing your mask, and keep you know shining the light on on other creatives. You know we need to get our stories out there.
0: Yes, this was an amazing story. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful afternoon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Okay. Bye-bye.